In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together once again this afternoon to be in your presence as we gather here in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, our Redeemer. We ask you to help us appreciate the great mystery of divine mercy more this afternoon in a particular way. Some of us have been able to celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation to receive your mercy once again in a sacramental way. But we all recognize our need for mercy. All your works, all your works glorify your mercy. And we just ask you to help us appreciate how important that is for us and for the people that we minister to, that we're being called to serve. Help us to become apostles of divine mercy. Mother Mary, Queen of Mercy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> So some of you know that I'm a big fan of Divine Mercy. When I lived in Chicago, I was invited to be on the board of Lighthouse Catholic Media before it got bought up or swallowed up, I don't know, by the Augustine Institute. And they invited me to record a talk, and I said, wow, Divine Mercy sounds like a good thing to uh, record a talk on. So I really believe in a sense, too, that it saved my vocation, going through a lot of personal difficulties and difficulties in my religious family, the Legionaries of Christ. We had a big scandal back in 2009. I was in my fifth year of priesthood, so it's a really challenging time anyway in the life of a priest. Uh, and then to have to go through this big scandal, like... I give credit to Divine Mercy and my devotion to Divine Mercy with really helping me to persevere through a very difficult time. And John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, was so instrumental in my vocation and obviously he was very instrumental in getting the Divine Mercy message and devotion promulgated and he canonized Saint Faustina in the year 2000, she was the first person, man or woman, canonized in the year 2000. And he would say that divine mercy is the message for our time. So I think it's important for all of us as Christians today to appreciate God's mercy. We can never appreciate it too much. So I was debating whether or not to, to preach on this and I thought, well, you can never reflect on God's mercy in your own life and in, in the life of the church too much. So with that, let's just use Luke 15 as a backdrop. I like to say that the, the, pro, the parable of the prodigal son gives us a, a snapshot of the heart of God. And it also helps us to examine ourselves and some of our own attitudes towards God's mercy. 
So let's look at this. Luke 15, 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. We just pause right there for a second. Notice how the father, this is a parable, but we can see it played out in so many circumstances in our own lives and in the lives of people around us that we know. But essentially, this son is telling his father, drop dead. I want my inheritance now. Not really sure why he said that, but nevertheless, his father respected his freedom. And I've been repeating that a lot today and last night that God's always going to respect our freedom. He's not going to impose his will on us. So he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. So, I mean, if, if this is a Jewish audience, they're like, ooh, they're all responding in that moment as Jesus is telling this parable. That's the worst of the worst, man. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to, and to spare, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he had this proverbial rock bottom moment. He had gone to this distant country that was symbolic of just how far from God he had, he had gone. Doing his own thing and it turns out it didn't work. I imagine many of us, you know, I raise my hand, if not all of us have experienced this, where we try to do our own thing, we try to do it our way, it just doesn't work. And we can be pretty obstinate about it sometimes. And then we hit this rock bottom. We get to a place of desperation And sometimes God allows that in his mercy. In his mercy, God allows that. Not that that has to happen. Not that God wants that to happen. It's not that God prefers that way of interacting with us. But sometimes he knows that that's what we need in order to wake up, to come to our senses. So he 
It says, and he arose, the younger son, and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So I'd like to point out that was no accident that the father happened to catch sight of him. He was looking for him. He was searching for him. So God is always searching for us. He's always, as I've been saying all weekend here, he's the protagonist. God's always active, coming after us. And that should be a consolation for us, that it doesn't depend on us. And even the people you're praying for, I'm sure you all have people you're praying for, starting with your children, other family members, friends that you know, people at the parish who come to you with prayer intentions. God is at work. And his ways are mysterious for sure. So this is where he asks us to trust him. To trust that he is at work and that he wants our salvation more than we do. So that's why I think that the motto of divine mercy is so important. It's interesting that Jesus literally instructed St. Faustina to have that written on the bottom of the image, Jesus, I trust in you. I don't think there's any other religious you know, image like that where God, I mean, he certainly instructed, I guess, or inspired certain writings around certain images, but to put it right there at the bottom of the image, Jesus, I trust in you. He's trying to say something. And the father continues here. Ah, well, so he embraces him, he kisses him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. So the father is restoring the dignity of his son. That's what all of this is symbolic of. He's restoring his dignity. His identity. He's giving him back his identity. And if you think about it, every time we sin, sin always leaves its mark. I remember hearing this one priest talk about three very distinct effects of sin. So I share this if it helps you and if it helps you, you know, understand the evil of sin more. But it darkens our intellect, it twists the heart, and it weakens the will. Every time we sin, it darkens our intellect, it twists our hearts, and it weakens our will. So it, it impedes us in seeking God, in finding God. It makes it harder, you might say, to have encounters with God and with our fellow men and with ourselves that are truly loving and life-giving. And then if that goes unchecked, you know, if sin goes unchecked, if it doesn't go repented, 
if we don't repent for it, if we don't repair for it, it does its damage. So God wants to, uh, and, and it, it, it little by little, it wears away at our identity. That's what I wanted to say. It, we lose ourselves, and we can, I mean, we can see that all over the place. And perhaps you can even reflect on your own life, a time in your own life where you, know, you started to lose yourself. And so it's not enough for God just to forgive us, but he really does want to restore our dignity and remind us of who we are. He wants to restore our identity. Identity is so important. That's why our, our time with the Lord, uh, a part of this intimacy with God, this friendship with God, is to constantly be reminded of who you are. We all need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be affirmed in our identity. Because the world, the enemy, constantly is going after that. Constantly going after that. Just think about how Jesus himself was tempted in the desert. And it was the, the devil who was introducing each of the temptations with, if you are the Son of God, then do this. If you are the Son of God, then do that. So he was going after his identity. And he was trying to get him to do something in order to prove himself. So whenever you feel like you have to do something in order to prove who you are, just know that doesn't come from God. God isn't demanding that you prove anything to him. You don't have to earn your identity. And isn't it, I mean, I think we can all relate to the younger son here. Like, I just, I just want to get back, you know, <laughs> I'll be a slave, right? Just let me back. Just let me have some food. I'm good. So again, we tend to have these low exp expectations for God and for ourselves. But that's not good enough for God. He doesn't want to just have us back as a slave. But he wants us as friends, as sons and daughters. So all of this says so much about his heart. We tend to be very hard on ourselves. Sometimes we even punish ourselves. And I think in some twisted way, we think, well, if I punish myself, then God won't punish me. But God doesn't want us to punish ourselves. You can see here from this parable, God really isn't interested in punishing us at all. 
God is not interested in punishing you. He doesn't want you to suffer. That's not the heart of God. But now let's get a little look at this older son, this, this other brother. So now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. It's really interesting that even this older son wasn't in the house, wasn't in the father's house. The younger son had run off. That's true. But even the older son wasn't in the house because of his own attitude problem. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him too. But he answered his father, Behold, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So think, if you haven't read uh, Henry Nowen's The Prodigal Son, that's a great read. That's, I'm adding to your reading list. <laughs> but Henry Nowen's The Prodigal Son. And I think as he observes, we can all relate to both sons, probably, in our walk with the Lord. I think the danger is after we've had a conversion from perhaps being the younger son, we can become that self-righteous older son. But neither one really knows the heart of the Father. And I'm not going to get on my Pope Francis soapbox. I mean, I'm a big fan of Pope Francis. But I think people who have a hard time with Pope Francis are often, uh, you know, approaching him, I think, from this elder son perspective. It's like he's too good. He's too good. He shouldn't be this compassionate or this understanding. These people on the periphery that he's going after, like he's a little too crazy sometimes, you know? <laughs> a little too wild. But isn't that what's happening here? The older son is like, Dad, what are you doing? Don't you know what this, this younger son of yours did? Why are you doing this? He doesn't, 
He doesn't deserve this. Right? And Father's like, yeah, I know. I know he doesn't deserve it. But that's the thing with mercy. Think about that. When we say, Lord, have mercy, what are we saying? We're saying, Lord, please don't treat me the way I deserve to be treated. You ever think about it that way? Lord, please don't deal with me the way I deserve to be treated. Because the fact is, we all deserve to be obliterated. You can't forget that. You don't deserve to be saved. You did nothing that deserved to be saved. And I don't care how many rosaries you pray or you know, how many masses you go to. You can't do anything to make God love you more. And the good news is you can't do anything to make God love you less. So this is challenging. This is really challenging. I'm not saying that Pope Francis is the clearest communicator ever, right? So I get it. I get it. But I think the Lord is inviting the church to have this kind of heart, this kind of merciful heart. It's not that we throw the truth out the window, of course not. But we have to learn how to engage people where they're at. We need to learn how to meet people where they're at. And, and not make them feel like they have to do something in order to be saved. Except believe. To believe that Jesus loves you and that he wants to save you and that he died for you. I, yeah, I, yeah, I believe that. Praise God. So I think that's what the Lord is inviting us to reflect on and to examine ourselves on here. What are my attitudes towards mercy, towards sinners? Have I become self-righteous in some place? And I think as we go, as we grow, as we grow closer to God, as we ourselves receive more healing, more love, more compassion, more mercy, I think we grow in compassion for others. And when we see people who are hurting other people, when we see people who are, are hurting, we're able to recognize that. And we understand that everybody has a story. And sometimes stories are really sad. 
and really difficult. And people need this kind of gratuitous love and divine mercy to help pull them out of it without laying on them all kinds of burdens. There's a certain graduality to the healing process and to the conversion process that I think the Lord is inviting us to understand, to respect, starting with ourselves, starting with ourselves. Let's just look at these other two. Well, let me highlight, too, what the, what the Father said here at the end. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. So St. Therese loved to take this passage as a motivation to be very bold with God, to ask for a lot to ask without limits. All that is mine is yours. So God is telling you that too. All that he has is yours. That's a gift. So let that be a great motivation for you and let it be great encouragement for you to be bold. And I think this can help us to approach God too in a more vulnerable way. We can make ourselves more and more vulnerable when we know that this is his attitude. This is his heart. He doesn't want to hold anything back. Let's just look at these other little parables in chapter 15, how he ends them. The 99. He leaves the 99. What, verse 3, 15.3, what man, 4 here, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And in Matthew 9, when he, when he calls Matthew, what does he say? Here's Matthew 9, verse 10. And as he sat at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. So maybe, you know, Jesus wasn't condoning everything that they did. No, but he was at least <laughs> fellowshipping with them, trying to build bridges. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So beware of the pharisaical attitude. The pharisaical self-righteous attitude. It can come from a desire to want to be right. You know, if we don't find our security in God alone, which we're trying to do, but we still tend to find security in other things. Well, one of the things that you can find security in is being right. I know I'm right. And that's a kind of false security. So it can manifest itself in this pharisaical attitude. So God is inviting us to have our security in him and in his mercy. I came to call sinners. So that's where we have to be humble. As we've been saying, poor in spirit. Yeah, I, I have sinned and I need to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be forgiven, but I'm asking for forgiveness. And I'm not going to blame anybody else for my own sins. I, I own up to it. And, and God isn't beating you over the head when you come and ask for forgiveness. He doesn't wag his finger in your face and say, shame on you. I like to say that sometimes in, in the confessional. You know, because again, we tend to shame ourselves, we shame other people. I say, hey look, don't be ashamed of yourself. God's not ashamed of you. God isn't wagging his finger in your face right now saying shame on you. You should know better. You should know better. Well, how many of us commit sins that we know are wrong, but we still do it anyway? Right? Why is that? Because we're frail. We're weak. But the Lord is not interested in shoving it in our face. He doesn't want to embarrass us. He doesn't want us to be ashamed of ourselves. Do you know the difference between shame and guilt? This is a, a good thing to make a distinction of right here. I think in light of divine mercy, you know, guilt is, oh yeah, I, I did something wrong, I, I said something, and I feel bad about what I did. So that's good, that's a healthy feeling, to feel guilty about something bad that I did. Shame is when I 
turn that in on myself and I say, well, I'm bad. I'm bad for doing that. And that's not so healthy because God doesn't want us to feel that way. God doesn't want us to think that we are bad even when we have sinned. But that's, that's what sin does. It chips away at our identity, as I said earlier. But that's why this parable of the prodigal son is so beautiful, because you can see the father's desire is to immediately restore his son's dignity and identity. So I go back to the primacy of receptivity. I was talking about that for, for those of you who just joined us last night. I was talking about the primacy of receptivity in prayer, where we receive our identity. We don't earn it, but it's given to us. God's gifts are given to us. Our identity is a gift. We were given that grace of divine adoption to make us sons and daughters of our Father through the Holy Spirit in Jesus. So that was given to us. And God wants to safeguard that. And as we go to prayer, as we spend time with the Lord in prayer, he wants to affirm that. And we all need that. We all need to be affirmed in our true identity. Often. <laughs> Often. And that's what really enables us then to engage people and affirm them in their identity. Because of course people feel ashamed when they come. I mean, especially in the confessional, but you're, you're going to get it enough in your own ministries people scared. You know, that happens a lot, right? It's humbling. It's humbling. For sure. When people approach you and they tell you a story. Not too long ago, I had this older woman come to me, and I've known her for practically five years since I arrived here and she told me something for the first time that she's never told me before and she said oh yeah so and so said I should come and talk to you and tell you this and okay it's okay don't worry don't worry so to be able to receive people with this mercy and compassion. It's a gift. And people really are, are looking for that, are longing for that kind of reception. And sure, you might have to, you know, help the person uh, make some tough decisions. To, to change some of their habits or whatever it might be, their, their lifestyle, their, their circumstances. 
but that takes you know some time and some some good old-fashioned love and mercy and accompaniment accompaniment that's a good word we all want to be accompanied in our walk with the Lord you all accompany each other that's important we all need that today especially more than ever So this is this is delicate stuff. <laughs> it's delicate. It's sensitive. And so pray for that grace to receive people with kindness and compassion. And then ask the Lord when you have to break the news to somebody. And because truth is, you know, telling the truth is an act of charity. But just ask God to help you share that truth with them in a way that's kind and loving. That's really important. And timing, you know, you may not have to lead with that, right? In the first, in the first meeting, right? Graduality. Step by step. You don't want to overwhelm people right off the bat. Let's pray. Jesus, divine mercy, I just invite you all right now to picture, let's engage our imaginations right now. Let's do a little contemplation of divine mercy. So just picture that image of divine mercy. Jesus with his right hand raised in blessing. And notice what his left hand is doing. His left hand is actually removing his robe a little bit, pulling back his robe, exposing his heart. And actually, if you look carefully, his gown is actually translucent. You can see his arms through the, through the robe. And you can see his heart then. And then, of course, the rays coming out from his heart, those blue and red rays, symbolizing the waters of baptism, the cleansing waters of baptism, his precious blood poured out on the cross. And you might just picture yourself kneeling before him, kneeling before him with your hands and arms open and just being washed in a mystical way, being washed clean by those waters and by that precious blood flowing from his heart giving you new life, reviving you, refreshing you, cleansing you, healing you. And you could just express to the Lord, have mercy on me, Lord. I have sinned. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven and against earth, my brothers and sisters. I have sinned against myself. Please forgive me. Lord, have mercy on me. 
Jesus just raising his hand and blessing. He says, I forgive you, my son. I forgive you, my daughter. And I bless you. I want to restore to you your dignity and your identity. I love you. You belong to me. And I shed this blood and this water from my pierced side on the cross as a payment for your life. To wash away your sins and to give you new life. I want to give you this new life. I want this life of grace, this life of intimacy with me to grow in you. I want you to become an apostle of mercy. I want you to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I want to give you my heart for your wayward brothers and sisters. <coughs> Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart more like yours. Fill me with your mercy, Lord. Make me an apostle of divine mercy. Help me to receive your mercy with gratitude, with humility, with joy. Deliver me from all shame, from all guilt, from all fear. Help me to instill confidence and trust in others to approach you, to ask for forgiveness, to find healing and grace and reconciliation. And Lord, if there's somebody I need to forgive, please bring them to my attention. there's anybody that I still need to forgive, Lord, please bring them to my attention right now. And please help me to forgive them as you have forgiven me. Help me to let go of any resentment or bitterness of any grudges that I may be carrying. forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus, I understand that you're not asking me to 
simply excuse what they did or to condone it. And I know you're not asking me to necessarily reconcile with this person, but just to let him go and to give you the debt that they owe me and to let you settle the score with them. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you, Lord, to, to settle the score with them in your own way, in your own time. But I let go of my desire to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Jesus to keep forgiving whenever I need to forgive. How many keep asking for forgiveness for my sins? How many to know, Lord, my sins? How many to know what gets in the way of greater intimacy with you? my own self-sufficiency, my self-hatred, my self-reliance, my fears, my worries, my pride. Lord, forgive me. And help me to trust in you more. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.